cricket, dreaming about a premiership cup. We love our clubs, but they never win. Two flags in 100 years. That shit house, if you think we'll be insightful, clever or just well researched. We're here to say that's not the case, we'll just go out and wing it. We are two guys, one Wednesday, July the 1st. Welcome to Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast. My name is Will Anderson. And my name is Charlie Clawson. And pinch, punch, first of the month, that won't get you a week unless you end up in hospital with broken ribs. Oh, don't get me wrong, though. If you pinched and punched me, regardless of the day of the month, I would end up in hospital with broken ribs. So many guys. In fact, that's my last chance to be an AFL player because if the new rule is that you get suspended for as many weeks as you've done an injury to the other player, they could send me out to wipe out like they could send me out to Toby Green, for example. You know, yeah. you're six weeks out from the finals and Toby Green just like mildly karate co- chops me in the like thigh and I just break in half and I'm in hospital for twelve weeks. Do you think there is a bit of a, a thing with the Jack Silvani injury that like we all know the Silvanis. Like we know the dynasty. We know that in his day, uh, you know, Soss and Joe Bailey were the glamour couple. They were the Chris Jardin and Beck Jard of the AFL world. And so obviously their kids are like they're good looking roosters and stuff. Do you think there is an element of Jack Silvani getting that little tap on the ribs and somehow going to hospital that makes a football world go, I knew it. I knew it. Soft. I kind of think that it's just that, you know, if you cop, I bet you've got one from your baby already. Like, I bet Iona occasionally just gets you in some part of your body where you're like, oh, a baby shouldn't be able to punch me in a way that makes me hurt in that way. She stepped on my dick in the bath the other day and it was extremely painful. Extremely painful. I don't think she meant it. I don't know. We have to go to the MRO. Find out if it was intentional. Uh, Low contact. Unfortunately, you've been suspended for three weeks for stepping on the opposition player's dick. (laughs) I mean, let's. Uh, I was sitting down at the time. I, I would love to kind of people to think I was standing at the time when she stepped on my dick, but no, I was sitting down at the time. Uh, yeah, I reckon. I reckon she has given me what a cute baby's first steps, though. <laughs> you know, that's the you'll have that image. She has. Uh, she has bruised my nose before by sticking her fingers and uh, my nostrils and yanking on my nose. She gave me a little bruise on my nose. Yeah, it doesn't take much. Like she only has like a. a, a a baby's level strength. So I imagine um, having Zach Merritt punch you because it did look innocuous, right? Like you, the, the, when you see the replay of it, it looks like something you see on the footy field all the time. You just give, give a little, just a little whack just to let someone know you're there. It did not seem like anything. Yeah, but I reckon Zach Merritt's got those sort of sneaky super agent, super spy skills. One inch punch. Yeah, he just strikes me as the sort of guy who could, yeah, exactly. Two fingers knock someone out in an elevator. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Merritt the ferret they call him because he just bang burrows right in there <laughs> Zach the ferret Merritt just gets right up you just crawls up you from behind <laughs> like you're Richard Gear. <laughs> <laughs> you've been ferreted he says as he wanders off uh, yeah it was, a, it, was a, it was just one of those weird old kind of uh, um, uh, weird injuries where it's like because if he hadn't, if it had been like 90% of other players who get punched in the ribs when they're in a marking contest or, you know, you get a clip around the ear, just make them earn it. it would it be, there would be no kind of like discussion around this. But I've been really surprised with like some commentators are like outraged by the fact that, you know, he put this guy in hospital and he was coughing up blood. And that's why I'm wondering if the perspective, I mean, even the Carlton supporters I know in my footy WhatsApp chap, chap, chat, 
are like, ah, oh, Silvani needs to toughen up. I think they're like Jack Silvani has walked into a, a, a complete a Kobayashi Maru situation, a no-win situation. He's the son of a legend. He's a good-looking kid, and he hasn't quite like reached the heights of his father. And now he gets his ribs broken with just a tiny little love tap. And it just makes you go, well, that makes sense. I think, firstly, that is such a tough thing to say to somebody that somehow it's your lack of intestinal fortitude that means you're coughing up blood. <laughs> coughing up blood is just a medical thing that happens. Like if he went off and went, oh, me tummy's sore. Like, <laughs> yes, then he's being wimpy, but he was he was coughing up blood. It's not like regular players are all on the verge of coughing up blood during every game, but they're just they're just forcing it back down with the will of their mind. Oh, he's just tough. He, can, he hasn't coughed blood once in his life. The tone and tone of this chat was that oh come on like Dipper played out an entire grand final with bruised ribs and didn't go to hospital till the final siren went what's Jack doing going to hospital and it's like look I'm a if you can play AFL football at the highest level you're immediately tougher than 90% of the population out there like it is a hard brutal game that asks a lot if a if a highly trained highly like uh, physically conditioned athlete gets broken ribs and is coughing up blood something bad happened to him well the other thing that i would say is dipper did that in a grand final we don't know what jack might have done if it was a fucking grand final but guess what guys it wasn't a fucking grand final. Maybe in round three of a season that could go from five to 17 games randomly in some states where you play three teams five times and the rest of the teams no times, Dipper might have gone, you know what, I might go to hospital today. It was, yeah, I think, again, it comes down to the fact that I, I like Jack Silvani. I think he is on a hiding to nothing playing for that club. Like, I, there was discussion last year that maybe, because Soss has fallen out with them. Has he gone? I believe Soss has maybe even left. That he should just go somewhere else because it's just the there is too much weight to the Silvani name being at that club and Carlton supporters, although they haven't a lot to crawl about lately, they are unforgiving. And I think that you know, I mean, Jack Silvani, here we go, Jack Silvani to the Gold Coast. That is a win-win situation right now, right? I like it. I like it a lot. And maybe like a father-son could Gold Coast offer him? Like, is that like a he goes there with his dad? The problem wasn't oh, yeah. that he was at a club with his dad. The cl- the problem was that it was Carlton, the club that he was at with his dad. But maybe you do a two for one deal, mm. and you give him a you, yeah, you give his dad a job, and you take him up there as a double deal up to the Gold Coast. I'm, I'm starting to I like think, this. Well, that's the one thing that Gold Coast don't have going for them at the moment. They, in terms of like being an uh, uh, expansion club and all the new excitement around Raul and their draftees and stuff, what they still are lacking is that kind of heritage. They don't have uh, a family to associate with the Gold Coast. But Jack Silvani is still young enough that he could create his own name for himself and still leverage off the back of being a Silvani. Like, get the Silvanis to the Gold Coast. That's what I'm saying. And I think Joe and Soss would thrive on the Gold Coast. They're at an age now, too, where they could be the king and queen of the Gold Coast. Don't you reckon? Like... I'm not saying that they're kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're trashy, nouveau riche type people. They are not. They are Melbourne establishment. They are Melbourne scene people. But you take some of that cash up to the Gold Coast, they'd be running that joint to Tony Cochran would have them at every coterie meeting, every function, well, once COVID restrictions relax. But they could be running the Gold Coast in a matter of 12 months, I give it. Well, this is what I think 
you're absolutely right about because we've spoken about it before, the idea of, you know, older players going to the Gold Coast or Brisbane, you know, going up there, you know, you're a champion player at Hawthorne, but you go up to, you know, Brisbane or the Gold Coast to give them some experience in a couple of extra years that you might not have played at your own club. Maybe we've been limiting it. We've been limiting it to on the field. What we should have been looking at Mm. is uh, Soss and Joe Bailey because Soss and Joe Bailey... Hang on, by the way... Has she has she been Joe Bailey in like twenty years? I mean, are we just harking back to the nineties when she was Joe? I think she's Joe Silvani, right? She is Joe Silvani. So Sauce and Joss. So Sauce and Joss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jordan of search doesn't really make sense, but anyways, no. Sauce and Joe, Steve and Joe, Stevie and Joe. They were Steve O. Steve O and Joe O. Steve O. Oh, okay, that's their name. Or Jeeve. Anyway, whatever they are, the glamour couple, <laughs> they're your ageing glamour couple. And there's a new glamour couple yeah. in town, as you're saying. The next generation are now Chris Judd and Beck Judd. And there's probably then like some current day players. There's that next generation after them who are the younger ones who are appealing to somebody. It would have been like Daniel Rioli and Brendan Favola's daughter or something like that. You know, would have been the, the, the glamour couple of the next one, yeah. right? It's the perfect time for Sauce and Joe... To go up to the Gold Coast where clearly, you know, their idea of a glamour couple is, you know, Warwick Kappa having a wank in public. This is a good time <laughs> for them to just like slide in and add a bit of respectability to the Gold Coast nightlife. Yeah. And and you do it in a way which, like, you know, in the, I think it was like the early 90s, there was a big migration from Melbourne up to, to Queensland. That's when they reckon like Brisbane started establishing its like cafe culture in the valley and all that kind of stuff was when these ex-Melburnians. So you bring a bit of that. And he's got the Italian side as well. So there is the cafe culture. You could take that down to the actual, what's uh, Caval, Caval, Cavalav, like actually have him bring some of that Ligon Street flavor, some of that Ligon Street flavor, that uh, old Princess Park uh, image to the Gold Coast. I think that's what it needs. I mean, Tony Cochran, he hates Melbourne, like uh, Melbourne, as he calls it. But I think you could sort of talk him around into paying. Uh, give him a, like one of those Paul Ruse kind of advisory paychecks. It's like, oh yeah, you're coming to sit on the board. You turn up to one meeting a week if you want. We just want you to bring some Melbourne sophistication to the Gold Coast and your son to be that legacy player that we have been lacking the whole time we've been around. And look, I don't want to be superficial about this, but just a presentable face of the club because that's what they are mm. missing at the Gold Coast because like, you know, their CEO, their chairman, their president, whatever Tony Cochran's official role is, um, he's the mad professor. You know, he's the uh, snake oil salesman who comes to town and tries to, you know, sell you a monorail as well. That's Tony Cochran, the mad king, right? He's not your presentable face. He's your kind of, you know, mascot come to life. Then you've got Stewie (laughs) Dew, who it looks like he's turning into a, you know, very, very good AFL coach. And I think he's going to be incredible for the club. But again... You know, if you're sending out a pamphlet... Not presentable. He's not your most presentable member of the club. And then you've got Matt Rowell, who, bless him. I mean, to prepare for this podcast today, I almost had a bowl of chorizo pasta, his favourite food, because if it's... (laughs) It might be the new superfood. I was going to put on the Shawshank Redemption and eat a big bowl of chorizo pasta. I was was going to spread some some Vegemite across a Vita wheat. (laughs) But that's not your glamour face of the club, red-headed Harry no, high pants eating his chorizo pasta and Vitawitz. You know, it's not... You need, yeah. like, your glamour person, and Silvani could be perfect for that. Of all the things that have happened in the AFL this week, 
I never anticipated that we'd spend the first 12 minutes talking about Jack Silvani. This is probably the most airtime he has got in his entire career. Well, and we're not even talking about Jack. We're talking about sauce. <laughs> Again, really? poor guy. We started by trying yeah. to trade him and we ended up trying to trade his dad. <laughs> Story of his life. That's exactly the problem. He's had his whole career. I mean, I think Jack was a good footballer like three years ago. When he burst into the scene and he was playing off halfback, everyone seemed to love him. And then he had a couple of quiet years. I think I mentioned on this show last year or the year before going to a game and I was stunned. He was in a real slump and I was stunned by how many of the Carlton supporters in the in the stadium were down on Jack Silvani. Like he was the whipping boy for sure. And I was like, oh, geez. I would have thought that the Silvani name just carried just a little bit more cachet than that. You'd, like I imagine if... Rob Harvey's son uh, gets drafted by the Saints, that or Nick Revolt's kids, J- James Revolt. That you'd want to give him at least what? How how long do you get? Four years before people start going. You know what? Maybe maybe he's not his dad. I think you get four years, and then you have to make him change his name. If he hasn't lived up to the name, <laughs> then he has to like like Bradman's son did. He changed his name to Bradnan or something like that because obviously it was just too hard being <laughs> really? compared to, yes, compared to Don Bradman. And I think his name was John as well, like John John Bradman. That would have been really tough to carry around. But whatever, <laughs> whatever his name is, he changed his last name to Bradnam because he, um, you know, obviously wanted to get away from the, the family legacy. Is there a sort of thing where you're like, well, we're happy for you to play, but we just, it disgusts us too much to see you playing that badly under the Silva- soiling the name of the Silvani family. If your name was just Jack Salad, we'd be fine with your performance. Would he have to change? Because uh, uh, podcast Mike, can you look up? I think Jack Silvani is number one. Can you see what number he wears on his on his back? Because he'd have to change his number as well. Because that's yeah. the iconic image of Sauce, isn't it? Is yeah. the floppy kind of rag doll body language and the hair and stuff like that with that number one on the on the navy blue. So if Jack Silvani is going to stay at the club and change his name, he has to change his number yeah. as well. Minus one. He has to go into minus. He has to be the first <laughs> AFL player who plays with a minus on his back. Because Gary Ablett's not 29 anymore, is he? When Since he came back to Geelong, he's got a completely new number. I think it's like, I don't know, 43. It's, like a, it's a high... No, that's Dangerfield is 35. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I want... Because when Jordan came back to the Bulls, he wasn't 23 straight away, was he? He wore for, a different number. For, well, the, as Jay-Z said, he wore the 4-5. Um, uh, <laughs> Not to play games with you. <laughs> but to shame you. Anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so wore 45. And then he went back to 23. Clarko. Clarko's outburst. Look, notable for many things, but my favourite part of Clarko's outburst was the use of the term shit canning. Haven't heard it in a long time, but since then I've heard a lot of media outlets pick it up and hearing them analyse his press conference, hearing all these journos and commentators use the phrase shit canning, it just cracks me up every time I hear it. What a beautifully unique Australian phrase. And to all our international listeners who are maybe getting to the sport for the first time, I'm hoping that Clarko's press conference was your first exposure to the AFL. and you Because I don't know, is shit canning common usage or is that a particularly Australian term i think it's i my guess is it's a particularly australian term <laughs> it's so great i don't want to don't mean to shit can the game <laughs> well you did and so you what, used it with the what does it even can we pick apart the actual phrase for a second what does shit can yeah. what is it we we know what it means which is that we don't want to like talk it down or we don't want to like you know bag it um bag it right yeah denigrate yeah. it we don't want to denigrate the game we don't want to shit can 
Is it about cans filled with shit? Is it about you having a can that's not as good as your other cans? Is it about an outdoor I, toilet? Where does shit yeah. can come from? I think it is like literally, yeah, it'd be like a, a, a can you shit in if you're camping or you're somewhere. It's like you're so poor or something so low rent that you've got, it's a shit can. It's like a shit box shit can. You know, you just fucking you shit in the, in the can because it, it's, it's so low quality. <laughs> I would have loved if Clarko had spelled it out like that. <laughs> I, I, look, I don't want to shit in a can because that's the situation the game is at. But I feel like Gil McLaughlin has taken down his pants and he's got out a can and he's dug a, done a big shit in a can. I would love that at his press conference this week. If they lose or, again, you know, the tackle count's really high but there's no free kicks paid or whatever... And Clarko just sits down at the press conference table, just with a dirty old can, just places it on the table. They journalists start asking questions. He doesn't answer it. He just stands up, lowers his slacks, <laughs> squats over the can, drops a juice, leaves. That's his comment. After the game, he gathers the player around in the circle to sing the song. But instead of putting a new player in the middle to shower with Gatorade, he gets out a can. And he says, one by one, in order, you all need to shit in this can because I've got a press conference in 30 minutes. Uh, podcast Mark has just reiterate, reiterated that, yes, uh, Jack Silvani wears the number one, so he'd have to change that if you change his name. And he also found a bit of info on the term shit can. It was first record, its first recorded use uh, uh, began just before 1960 and then has skyrocketed ever since. So uh, somewhere around 1960, what was happening with... Uh, well, people, people might have still been shitting in cans in 1960, I assume, like in you know country areas and stuff. Like when you do a drive yeah, through the country and you stop at one of those toilets that's just a hole in the ground. Okay, so this is your transition period. This is where like people have gone from predominantly shitting in cans to being in a system <laughs> where you can now denigrate something by saying they have a shit can, I think. So there's enough people who aren't shitting in cans that they can look down their noses at the can shitters. Yeah, that's right. Because prior to that, you tell someone you're shit canning, it'd be a compliment. It's like, wow, you've got a can you can shit in. la di da I just shit, shit in my canning. hand and then have to fling it in the backyard. I thought that was the only way. Look at you all fancy with your can. <laughs> I dream about shitting in a can. That's what I aspire to. <laughs> the great Australian dream, a can to shit in. I mean, these days it's going back to that. So, you know what? You know, we were there once. Once on the way back up, one once on the way back down. Do you agree... Uh, with the assertion that the game is in the worst shape that it's ever been in. Like, this seems to happen every year, right? People complain that the game sucks and it's no good. To me, it just feels like certain games are shit and certain games are good. Like, the Saints game was very enjoyable to watch. I really like that game. <laughs> High scoring, free flowing. It's a classic example of if you watch every game, you think that the game is in shit shape. But. I watched like three or four games over the weekend and they were all great games. <laughs> like I would, if if you got my impression of the, what the weekend's football was, I would have gone, football's in awesome shape. I just saw so many fun games of football and I just avoided all the ones that were apparently so terrible. But also, how do we know? How do we know with everything else that is going on in this season, how the fuck do we know if it's the game or if it's the players not being you know, in the right headspace or having interrupted seasons or their bodies are just in different rhythms because of the nature of how we prepare this year or the fact that it's shorter quarters and, you know, you don't get that, you know, period of time where everyone's a bit tired at the end of the quarter. So the game opens up and you score a lot more heavily when in mm. those like three or four, like all that shit, who, who fucking knows if the game is in bad shape or good shape? I think there's too many people around the ball. I agree with that. And they've been trying to solve that 
like for years and they still haven't been able yeah. to so- solve it. So I think what Clarko was identifying and I think what is wrong with the game is it has become a rolling mall instead of it being a positional play. But, and I think we'd all think it was better if it was positional play. But isn't that Clarko's, like that was his innovation, was Clarko's cluster. Isn't that all about having like a... Uh, a zone that moves with the football so you put numbers around the ball and you rely on like pressure and stuff to bring the like I thought yeah that's mate you're shit counting yourself this yeah, was but, your invention yeah but that's why he's the most qualified to talk about it because <laughs> he invented it he goes I know the game well, is at its ultimate worst because I am the author of its destruction <laughs> it is I I was wondering about that like if if it had been like David Teague had come out Mm. Or Justin Longmuir had come out and said that, like in their first season, like what the reaction would be. Clarko gets a pass because he's the greatest modern living coach and he invented the Cl- Clarko's cluster, so he gets to comment. But it's also a bit rich, right? That the guy who's profited or well, profited, su- uh, succeeded the most from the way the modern game has gone will then come out and bag it. And I think it, to me, watching the press conference, because after I heard the audio shit can, it's like, I've got to see. The expression on his face and he was angry like you could see he was genuinely pissed off in this um in this press conference and i'm thinking has he just come straight like you know they were ahead by however many goals and then north melbourne just decided to play open attacking footy and almost stole the game from them so to me it felt like he's gone from the change rooms where he's probably just gone through the players because they didn't stick to the plan they allowed north to get in they almost lost the game and then he's carried that anger into the press conference and Maybe if there had been a buffer in between, if someone had given him a Snickers bar or something, he would not have gone on a tear. Because I get the feeling Gill's probably, of all the coaches at Gill, would be reticent to give a phone call to or to admonish or whatever. It would be Clarko. But probably the only one, right? Who Would there be any other coaches who could get away with talking like that? Maybe Nathan Buckley? But he's right. So he's the one who's qualified to say it. And he's the one who's also, it's not sour grapes from Clarko. Because if it was another coach saying that the game's been ruined by this sort of tactic, you could go, well, yeah, but the teams that are winning, they brought in this tactic and they're winning premierships. Clarko's won a heap of premierships. He is more qualified than anyone. In fact, if there's anyone in the game who can actually say, hey, guys, because what he's really saying is that you, the people who run the game, have to stop, ignore, you have to not care about what I'm doing. I'm going to try to ruin the game to win premierships that's my job but you have a responsibility as the people who come up with the rules to change the rules so that i can't ruin the game yeah yeah it's true i think it's just more you've got to incentivize people to play attacking football like i've had a lot of the kind of discussions around like so how how do you do it well the one that i thought was interesting was the idea of which they've trialed before which is if you kick backwards it's play on but then statistically all the teams that are doing well this year have had the lowest number of backwards kicks the teams that are doing well this year are the ones who are playing attacking open football who go into the corridor more. Like that seems to be statistically what's going on. But it's a more of a mindset thing. Like that's what North Melbourne proved in that game is they played the first three quarters playing very defensive, conservative football. But then the minute they started being free-flowing and playing on instinct and stuff. So I don't know how you coach that or how you mandate that with rule changes to make that more of the thing. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I think it's interesting that there's all these people who are thinking that, oh, well, if we have starting positions at the first ball up. One of the the, the more radical changes that um, Max Lawton floated on the Fox Footy podcast was the idea that if the ball goes out of bounds, it's a reset in the center of the ground. So uh, in the in the 
inside the 50 meter arcs, it would go to the top of the arc for a ball up. If it's anywhere in the middle of the ground, the ball goes out of bounds, it gets re reset to the center. So to stop people going out to the wings, because you know, there's a, a the, it, it just means the, from the restart of play, it's suddenly in the corridor. And so you get more attacking football. I'm like, Oh, that could be interesting. But I just think that would take so much time, like to get the ball from the side back into the middle. Like, aren't we, it felt like three years ago or a couple of years ago, the complaint was all about too many stoppages. We, we, we don't want so many stoppages. We want to get rid of the third man up. Now they're talking about bringing the third man up back in to get the ball out of these, out of these stoppages and get it moving again. Like, I don't fucking know. I don't think anyone knows. And again, there were some good games this round. I think there's just some good games and there's some shit games. The one that they will never do and the one that has always been the most obvious to me is 16 players. I think there's too many players on the ground. I just think with the, the way that the game is played these days, the reason you have so many players around the ball is there is just too many players on the ground. I think the players are so much faster. They cover the ground so much more efficiently. I just think that if we played 16 aside, that most of these problems would naturally go away and so do you do away with wings what well, doesn't really matter in today's game but yes you do or could, well, there's, well there's i mean there's no. other ways you can do it which is you take a player or you take a player off like a different line but yeah i mean i think you'd get rid of one back pocket <laughs> one back pocket one forward pocket they're unnecessary structurally aren't they you only need one crummer well i guess it it also creates that sort of you know suddenly you do have that idea of going well do we overload our midfield or do we still set up in a six in the back line you know so if you do set up in sixes in the back line you're dragging all those people you know out of that center corridor i just feel like it would open up the game it's going to tie people out more there'll be more space on the field it just there's going to be more gaps you know by the very nature of it you're going to be able to find more space and you know turn the ball over from from end to end and you could still have the interchanges because the players don't want to get rid of the interchanges because everyone always like you get a re- get rid of as many interchanges, but the players don't want that. So have sixteen players. The quality of the game goes up, right? You take the two worst players out of every team. By the very nature of it, it improves the actual competition because there is just a higher quality of players playing at any one time, and you you get the space issue. Um, you get to see the good players play more. You know by necessity as well, right? You're not like. You know, you really just have to get it in the hand of the better yeah. players more often. Are you? I think. Um, I think they are. I don't know. They are, in, and with sixteen people, you could get really exposed if you all follow the ball. I think they are playing sixteen aside in the. <clears throat> I mean, the VFL's not around this year, but whatever the practice matches they're doing, I believe they are playing sixteen aside. Yeah, I mean, I'd be open to that. The VFA used to be sixteen aside. The VFA used to play sixteen aside, even back in the old days. Right. They played sixteen aside, so. It's not even that, that outrageous a suggestion. I think that all the other stuff is messing around with it and fiddling around. And I like 16 aside playing with the rules we have much more than I like the idea of suddenly having zones and stuff with 18 aside. Just take two of the players out and see if that works. Yeah, I'd be down with that. I mean, again, I don't care. I've And then in the second quarter, 14 aside. And then in the third quarter, 12 aside. And then in the final quarter, it's 10 40 aside. aside. Don't no, tell me you would list. not want to see that. And in overtime... Last quarter should be like all bets are off. Your entire playing list. You've got 40 of them. They're on the field. So 80 players on the field in the last quarter. Anything goes. No out of bounds. Oh, no. Not for the whole quarter, but in a sort of like, you Mad know, minute. double ball yeah. sort of scenario from pinball. You just have a five minute period where you can swarm at any stage of the game. But where all, all the players on the list can be on the field. From being a, a St Kilda supporter and watching how 
it seems to be <clears throat> just changing your game style makes the game infinitely more attractive. Because under Alan Richardson for five years, we were playing a very safe, you know, uh, uh, spread the ball wide, switch it in when it's safe, no risk kind of football, to now seeing how we attack the corridor, we recruited for leg speed. Look, maybe Brett Ratton is playing with fire because it's a you know high risk, high reward kind of game. But man, it is—it's infinitely better to watch, and that has nothing to do with rule changes. It just had to do with the idea that well, we're going to back our players in. We think we've drafted well in these areas. We're just going to get the ball moving, and we're going to go when we can. We're going to get in the corridor, and we're going to make it easier to kick goal. We kicked fifteen goals three on the weekend. I. Cannot in recent memory think and think of a time where we have kicked that well, and I think and we had plenty of opportunities to you know we had that many shots on goal under Alan Richardson, but clearly the way we were bringing the ball, slowly creeping the ball around the boundary line, and then getting it uh, you know a set shot somewhere twenty meters in from the boundary was not doing us any favors. Like I just reckon play like us. <laughs> That's the if every team played like Brett Ratton is coaching us to play, then the game would be much more watchable. I would suggest, though, if we went to 16 asides and Kilda would have more chance of winning the Premiership than currently. Because the thing they say about, yeah, the difference between winning the Premiership and not is your sort of your 18th, 19th, 20th player, right? Like, and so if you take everybody up that list, it immediately also makes the bottom teams more competitive mm-hmm. because it's not like your top 16 are going to be so much stronger necessarily than the other side's top 16. It's that 17th and 18th and all those positions where you're actually getting let yeah, down your bottom five that's the one that, that, that that's the one where you get found out so make it a bottom three hey um <laughs> i think i live near a sydney swans player it's i've seen him twice now uh at, at the front of the same house i'm assuming it's his house unless it's a swans player who is visiting a friend but i think luke parker lives in my neighborhood and i'm pretty sure it's luke parker I'm pretty sure. He's the one Swans player who I think I recognise. Uh, okay, so does he seem to have like a, a family or like, you know, a yes. girlfriend, Family kids? home, his grandparents. It looks like he's got a wife and kids, partner and kids, I'll say. Um, it seemed like uh, today or yesterday parents were visiting because uh, uh, I nearly ran over his uh, father or his partner's father with my pram. Uh, I was on my phone at the time while I was wheeling my pram down the street. But it's... It's, I'm pretty certain if Luke Parker has a beard at the moment, then I'm pretty sure it's Luke Parker. I recognize him straight away as being a footballer. It's either Luke Parker or Callan Ward. Because <laughs> they look kind of similar, I think. Callan Ward has a bit of a beard at the moment, so it might be Callan Ward. But Luke Parker, I hope <laughs> Luke Parker's kid's called Luke Parker Jr. I, I, if you want to know something about the Sydney Swans, and I feel like some of the listeners to this podcast do want us to know things about the Sydney Swans, because we've been sent... Another pocket profile. Uh, this one is of... Uh, a- we need to come up with a name for this segment because I think it's going to be a recurring one. So, I mean, it's the pocket profile. We need another P just to kind of get that alliteration going on. The pocket profile this point. Is, it's the, the pocket-, pocket profile pocket. It's time for the pocket profile pocket. So, <laughs> this week in pocket profile in the sure. pocket profile pocket, George Hewitt, <laughs> a man uh, from the Sydney Swans that we had no idea who he was. So this will be good. We're going to learn something about George Hewitt. Still today. don't know who he is. Was he? Isn't he a celebrity celebrity chef, George Hewitt? I think you're thinking of uh, Leighton Hewitt. No, no, he's a tennis <laughs> player. Huey. Oh, Huey. Oh, Huey's Cooking Adventures. Ian Hewitson. Ian Hewitson. Yeah. Not even close. <laughs> Not nowhere, but as identifiable 
as uh, most um, uh, things that we do on this show. So let's have a look at George Hewitt. Okay. So in traditional uh, pocket profile pocket, you'll go through the questions. I'll try and guess his answers. And yes. uh, then when you're done, we have another pocket profile pocket. <laughs> so we can, we can swap seats and I will ask you questions and you try and answer. Okay. Don't know anything about George Hewitt. I'm going to try and read his mind. Go. Uh, pre-game rituals. Let's go with pre-game rituals. That's always fun. What is uh, George Hewitt's pre-game ritual? And I'm going to say it is uh, food related. Oh, I was going to say having a big wank. <laughs> Clearly that's off the table. Um, uh, he makes himself Vegemite on toast. Uh, no, he's a bit more fancy. Like, think Ooh. if Matt Rouse, your sort of basic, uh, you know, S- good old fashioned Gold Coast Suns boy, smashed avocado. You're getting you, much oh. more. Yeah, something okay. that you might get in a cafe. I would say. Okay, is it egg related? Uh, it has eggs in it. Oh, okay. Jesus Christ. Uh, brunch, a brunch food. Oh. Poached eggs. I don't know. What is it? Banana bread. Oh, I would never have got that. Is he allowed to eat banana bread? I guess so. Um, all right. Who's had the most influence on your career? Uh, my junior level coach, uh, Hank Scorpio. His brothers. Close. Growing up, who was your favourite player? Now, this is going to make you feel very old, hearing who George Hewitt's favourite player was when he was growing up. Uh, Matt Rowell. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's his current day favourite player. <laughs> Did you see this week? I can't remember where it was, but somebody said apparently there was like those sort of like a Chuck Norris style meme going around about Matt Rowell. In fact, podcast Mike, can you see if you can find this list? Because somebody did a sort of, you know, Matt Rowell is so tough that Matt Rowell is. And uh, one of them was that when Matt Rowell got drafted to the uh, Gold Coast Suns, he turned to his father and said, you're the man of the house now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, if you tell me the team, will it give it away, or should I just guess? It's a current day player, uh, Dustin Martin, uh, Gary Ablett Jr. No, that makes sense. He's been around for a while, though. I don't feel too wild about that. Um. Uh, all right. Um. Who's uh? I did, like all the answers to his teammate questions are other Sydney Swans players that we wouldn't know. So right. Let's have a crack. <laughs> that's not really helping us out. Um, all right. Uh, do you have any secret party tricks? What's his secret party trick? Um, uh, is it a card trick? Uh, it is something you do with your hands. Uh, a big wank. <laughs> <laughs> He's no longer invited to parties. Uh, juggle. He likes to juggle. Okay. okay. Charlie. Um, at which store would you like to max out your credit card? George Hewitt, if he had a credit card that he could max out, which store would he go I to? I the Apple store. No, much more sort of workmanlike than the Apple store. <clears throat> Aussie disposals? Two workmanlikes? Oh, Christ. Of course. Um, of course. What three things are left on your bucket list? Um, uh, give me like, is it like, tra- is, is travel one of them? Like to go to a, like to climb Everest or something? Well, one of, one of my favorite things is about this is that um, travel is one of them. And one of my favorite things about this list is there's only two things on this list. So <laughs> he's done most of them. He has two things on his three list bucket list. Um, oh, okay. Um, bucket list is to uh, courtside seats to see LeBron. Okay. So yeah. I'll give you a clue. One of them is related to his day job. Playing and winning grand final. Win a premiership. Thing. And then the other one is 
go on holidays to a destination that is much beloved by an icon of the Sydney Swans? Um, <clears throat> Lance Franklin, Adam Goods, Barry Hall, no. uh, Mickey O. This person lives, this Swans identity lives in this place. Oh, shit. Oh, oh, the US, it's Paul Ruse. Hawaii. Uh, surf a big wave at Hawaii. Hawaii. Go back to Hawaii. All oh, right, go back to Hawaii. Um, that's a bucket list. You're not aiming very high. Yeah. <laughs> like pre-COVID, that's a $1,500 flight. I'm sure you can do it, mate. But he's list. done it in order. It's like, go back to Hawaii, win a premiership. <laughs> go back to Hawaii is very achievable, mate. Winning a premiership, that might be a tough one. But you go to Hawaii like 10 times before you win a premiership. <laughs> Uh, first album you bought. Okay. All right. Uh, what genre of music? Um, emo? Oh, fuck. My Chemical Romance. Yeah, well, there's two bands that you'll remember of that time. One of them is My Chemical Romance and the other one is... Evanescence? Bring no, me they, to life? They have a name a bit like My Chemical Romance in that it's it's a saying rather than a name, if that makes sense. Oh, fuck. I don't know. I don't know. Who is it? Um, when Dermot Brereton rode his motorbike into the nightclub, you might have said there was... A motorbike in this nightclub? <laughs> panic at the disco. Oh, right. You fucking they, idiot. <laughs> I didn't know they were an emo band. So there's no band called There's a Motorbike in This Nightclub? <laughs> I don't know if they're an emo band. I was. I would love that if Panic at the Disco, the, their, their working title before they settled on that was There's a Motorbike in This Nightclub. AKA Panic at the Disco. Um, first concert you attended? Uh, what uh, again? What genre of music? Hip hop, rock, emo. It's a um, it's a music festival. Oh, he went to. Would he have gone to Big Day Out? He maybe he's too young. He went to the Big Day Out, oh. probably to see Panic at the Disco, <laughs> his favourite band. Yeah, <laughs> had some banana bread. Went out to the Big Day Out. Watch Panic at the Disco. I'm George Hewitt. Can't wait to go back to Hawaii. <laughs> but in the meantime. See me at Bunnings. Um, what's his favourite movie, Charlie? We all like, always like to know what footballers' favourite movies are. Uh, Matt Rowell went with a classic of the genre. I would say this is an Australian classic movie. The Castle. The Castle. Uh, what's his favourite TV series? What would a footballer in his early to mid-20s... Is it a drama? Is it a reality show? Is it... It's a sitcom. Oh, my God. A sitcom? Um, Big Bang Theory? No, his favourite TV series is The Office. Doesn't say if the UK or the US version of The Office. It'd be the US, it'd be the US version. He's too young to have seen the English one. Uh, favourite band or musician? This is someone that he probably went and saw at the big day out. Um, okay, Australian? Uh, no, an American, American act. An American act. Oh, so it's an act. Okay, uh, Arcade Fire. Uh, older, oh, than, older than Arcade Fire. <laughs> My uh, podcast, Mike, is, uh, is is taking a stab. He's saying The Killers. Oh, that's a pretty good guess as well. I'm going to give you um, another... So, you know, um, uh, there's got your famous pranks around football clubs where you might put, like, you know, uh, deep heat in their jocks or you might get some, uh, some sort of food that might have uh, those same qualities and rub it on your teammates' jocks to make their... Uh, red hot chili peppers. The red hot chili peppers, <laughs> correct. <laughs> Uh, what's what's his favourite carb, Georgie Hewitt? Um, pasta has to be pasta. Pasta, just pasta, no chorizo. Just keep it simple. <laughs> um, first meal after the season. 
So when the season's done and he can eat, he can lash out. He can eat whatever he wants to eat in the world. What is Georgie Hewitt eating? Can eat anything he wants. Anything he wants. He can have chorizo pasta. He can have Vegemite on anything. Vitawits. I reckon he likes to settle down with a nice big pizza. It's a pizza. Does he like pizza? Barbecue chicken pizza with pineapple. If it starts with a starts with a P. It's not as extravagant as oh, a pizza. As... It's one of those things where I'm like, wow, you're not allowed to eat this during the season? You're eating fucking banana bread on game days oh, and you won't... Parmigiana. Chicken parmy. Uh, peanut butter M&M's. Peanut, peanut M&M's. Not even peanut butter M&M's. Just peanut M&M's. Right. He's not allowed to have that during the season. I mean, maybe you can have banana bread or peanut M&M's. I don't know. And I think that's uh, that's all the interesting stuff. I don't. The rest of it's pretty boring, to be honest. All right. Okay. Uh, well, let's save uh, let's save uh, Tom Phillips for next week. Laura sent that in. Laura, we will get to your, uh, okay. uh, your Tom Phillips pocket profile next can, week. Can I just say podcast, podcast? Mike's put up a couple of these uh, Matt Rowe things and taken me to his Facebook page. So I'm just going to okay. read you a couple. Uh, when Matt okay. Matt when Matt Rowe was young, his parents used to come into his room when they were scared. Oh, Matt Rowe <laughs> lost his virginity even before his parents did. <laughs> We've had some letters. Um, uh, Jack has written into us. Uh, the heading, the subject line is disappointment in poor performance teams. Hey, Charlie and Will, I'm a big fan of the show. I'm an Adelaide supporter. I was born in 96, so just old enough to see but not remember both Crows premierships. And I've realised maybe St Kilda have finally managed to reverse the curse now that the Crows are at the very bottom of the ladder and are in worse form than ever in our entire history. I have a high level of sympathy now for fans of clubs who find themselves in this situation more often. I mean, can you imagine, Will, what that must be? Have the, have the Bulldogs ever finished last in your lifetime? Oh, we've definitely finished down the bottom. We might have finished last one year, I think. Um, I mean, it, it's not It good. just, it, it kind of, I cannot even conceive of what it must be like to barrack for a team that has never finished bottom of the ladder. Like, I think St Kilda in my lifetime has finished bottom of the ladder at least half a dozen times. So... I mean, it's just normal for me, for someone, for this Adelaide supporter to be like, whoa, man, like, wow, I'm getting a totally new perspective. I'm, I'm walking a mile in your shoes. It, it is actually insulting. <laughs> it is really, really insulting. This is, yeah, this is the existence of a St Kilda supporter. Not even a, not even a Bulldog supporter can identify with what I've been through in my life, man. Um, it'd be amazing if the Adelaide team, Adelaide supporters developed empathy. <laughs> So when the season comes back next year, like they're not actually rabid crowds at the Adelaide Oval anymore. They're like, you know, we get it, guys. I mean, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It's just important we get to play the game, right? The irony of them doing that pre-season camp where they were meant to like learn more about each other and become more bonded as a group, yet it split them apart. Yet somehow, because of them splitting apart, their fans find empathy. Well, maybe that was the long game all along. Uh, yeah, and then uh, whatever that group was, come back and just go, job yeah. done. <laughs> Now, you've been collectively minded. <laughs> now, hold each other's penises. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> uh, Jack continues. Uh, the Giants also joined the Crows in a run of disappointing performances. It now seems like the ultimate Richmondy thing to do is to beat a powerhouse club in the grand final and break them for seasons afterwards. Mate, the Giants are not nearly in the trouble that the Crows are in. In light of this, I've taken a liberty... Uh, that no one has asked me to take, and I have rewritten the GWS, GWS Club song as a Crows cover. I don't know why. Maybe I was inspired by Charlie's performance of the Teddy's Bears picnic rendition sent in by another listener. And considering this is so completely off-topic and harebrained, who better to send it to than you guys? So please, please enjoy my version of A Big Big Sad. So it's to the tune of the Giants theme song. 
Well, there's a big, big sad from the Adelaide lads. It's a sound of non-excitement. See, the faith is a-breaking. Confidence is shaking. It's time for some retirements. We kick the lowest scores and our effort is weak. We're taking a year-long rest. With the underwhelming Crows consignment, we've already failed the test. We have no plans for September. When will the season end? We're so far from our best. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. Cheers, lads. Jack, that's pretty good. What if you write one <laughs> for every team that you play and then that way when the music plays at the end of the game, you can at least sing your song? <laughs> your sad song. Uh, another Jack's written into us. He says, hi, guys. Jack from England here. Uh, I'm assuming he's written in before the way he's just announced himself as Jack from England. <laughs> like, oh, of course, Jack from England. Yeah, I believe we've heard from him before. I chose to support St Kilda because they are about as tragic as my own team, Everton. I think the dogs are more like Leicester. Never shit, but never great and had an incredible season once. My season is, well, yeah, the Bulldogs didn't have an incredible season once. The Bulldogs had an incredible four weeks once. What a, what a month, though. <laughs> Never has one team packed so much into so little time. I mean, most teams have to earn premierships over eras, over seasons. We earned them over pretty much a good six weeks. So, you know what? I got to see it all. You know what? We just binged it. We binged all the good times that other people have to watch over years. Um... My question is, what are your other teams? And I don't mean just uh, Premier League, like any NBA teams or anything. You never really mention any other teams you might barrack for. Thanks, Jack. P.S. Max King is a gun. He is a gun. Um, I don't really follow any other sports closely enough to have a team. Uh, no, I don't really. I mean, you know, like <laughs> I used to barrack for the Melbourne Tigers in the NBL when I used to go to the NBL games. Um, when I used to watch NBA when I was a teenager, I was into the Chicago Bulls, but that's because everyone was into the Chicago Bulls. But there's nothing. AFL is really the only sport I can talk at length on. It's the only thing that I really follow with any great interest. When I was living in America, I followed the Clippers in the basketball. I've always loosely followed the Clippers in the basketball just because I think originally they had the same colors as the Bulldogs and whatever. I don't even actually remember whatever reason I came up with in the first place, but that became... I went to games, you know, regularly and watched games regularly when I was living in the US. But having come back from the US, I just, like, I will watch some American basketball when I can, but it'll just be whatever is on and I don't necessarily need to watch a Clippers game. And I don't, I follow Australia in the cricket, uh, but I don't, in, in I watch the Big Bash and all those leagues, but I don't have a team. Now, the Bulldogs are really the only team team that I support. I, 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 I kind of feel like, it's like video games with me, like... I enjoy video games. Like I've gone around a friend's place and we've played video games and I enjoy it. But I've never invested in it because I feel like I don't have time for this. Like I don't feel like I don't have enough time as it is. Like when we put the show on hiatus for a little bit while the season was on hiatus, I was amazed by how much time I got back. And it's like, shit, this AFL, we do one hour a week where we talk about football and then maybe I'll watch one game and snippets of other games for the rest of the weekend. And that seems to take up a lot of my time. If I was watching Premier League and NBA and fuck, man, I, I just, A, I would be divorced, I'm pretty sure, because Jamie is not really into sport of any kind at all. But I just don't, I don't have the mental capacity. And also, think about where I've come from. I'm a Saints supporter. And I also grew up in a time when the Australian cricket team was shit. Like, we got good in the 90s. But when I was a kid, 
the two teams I supported was the Saints and the Australian cricket team, and they'll both shit. So it, it it made an impression on me as a very young person that the things that you love will let you down. <laughs> You'll only get brought disappointment. So why would I just why would I go out and seek further hurt and pain? It's never paid off for me following a sporting team. I don't have I'm a bit like you, you know, my partner, she doesn't like sport either. And so the more time that you spend watching sport, like if I was just, yeah, if I was home by myself, I mean, I remember one time in when I was in America and I was just riding from home, I watched the entire World Cup of football, like the Soccer World Cup. I don't think I'd ever watched a full game of football before that. And I watched every single match in the entire World Cup because I just happened to be in the right place to be able to do it. And I was riding and I would just have it on in my house all day long. And then I got really into it and was loving it. But I've never watched a World Cup game since. Mm. Like, I just don't have time in my life for, like, other sports. I used to be into the Australian... When I lived in Melbourne, I'd go to the Australian Open a fair bit. But that was like, it's a, you know, two-week concentrated amount of tennis. I wouldn't... It's not like I'd follow the US Open or any other kind of tournaments or follow players or anything like that. I like events. And Melbourne does do sport really well. Like... If you're in Melbourne during one of the big sporting carnivals, the whole city like comes alive and there is a buzz about the place and you kind of want to get involved. But since I've lived in Sydney, Sydney doesn't care about anything. <laughs> Sydney cares about real estate, <laughs> real estate and <laughs> shitty bars. And that's about it. There's no culture here. There's nothing. There's no arts. There's no sport. It's just real estate. Beaches and real estate and shitty <laughs> bars. You like to go to the games just so that you can stare at an expensive piece of real estate. You're like, look at the house you could build on that. You could have a pool out the back, you put a swing up for the kids. Look at this. It's going to be worth millions. What do you reckon this is worth? It's so close to the city, but also the beach. Uh, Tal writes in, hey, Will and Charlie. <clears throat> I thought I'd add to the odd couple fan fiction. Of course, the ongoing uh, series in uh, this year's uh, Two Guys, One Cup is the original odd couple, Nat Fife and Ben Cunnington. If you have... A fan fiction story you'd like to pen about those two guys together, please feel free to send it in. We love it. So this is Sal's, uh, Tal, Sal, Tal's attempt. Um, okay. Ben Cunnington, in need of some R&R, took a mid-week fishing trip in search of a mythical six-foot snapper. Thinking he needed an extra boost, much like his hair follicles, Cunners pocketed the club's treasured vial of shinboner spirit. Just as he was reeling in the monster, he reached in for a sip of that magic elixir. And alas, it went tumbling through his normally clean hands into the depths of Bass Strait. The snapper escaped, as did North Melbourne's chances of winning this week. But from beyond the horizon appeared a figure in a chopper without a shirt. It was Nat Fife who channeled all of his docker's expertise with the ocean and swam to great depths, negotiating with his fellow long-haired mermaid. He does look like a mermaid. I've never thought of that before. That's sort of... He's got that Western Australian hair. He's shirtless. He does look like a mermaid. I like to imagine... With I, I want to get to the end of this, but yeah. I like to imagine firstly just that if I could punch it up a little. Sure. Okay. We're getting notes already. Ben Cunnington drops uh, drops the rod and the shinbone of spirit because he's just been recently applying his advanced hair hair oil. Yes. So he's just been like, I better... I better protect this from the elements out there in his hands. He's normally completely safe hands. A slippery because of what he's been applying to his hair. And that's the reason he drops the shin bonus spirit. I imagine that Nat Fife, when he appears, um, he firstly, he drops an anchor, Docker style. So he, it's... Yep, no, yep. actually, you know what? From his helicopter. 
The chopper's hovering above the water and he drops an anchor. Even one of <laughs> those makes no sense. Giant inflatable anchors. Ah, yes, the they, penis ones. The giant penis-shaped anchors. And he has one of those that he drops down as some sort of emergency boat. And then he lowers himself to the water on a string of Brownlow medals tied to each other like bed sheets outside a prison window. <laughs> and then he dives down to talk to the mermaids. Um, Nat Fife arose with the vial and said, Well, Ben, that's just a good old-fashioned heave-ho. It wasn't a very good catchphrase, but Ben didn't say anything. <laughs> As Nat Fife climbs back into his helicopter, Ben sipped on some of the spirit and was just pleased that Nat Fife remembered his name. P.S. I'm looking up their 2009 draft here. It turns out Cunnington was taken at number five and Fife was taken at number 20. Is Fife's success just to prove he's better than Cunnington? Cheers, Tal. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thanks. So good. Please, more of these... Uh, uh, original odd couple fan fictions. I love them so much. I had no idea that Nat Fife was taken so low in the draft. Imagine that. Hey, uh, podcast Mike, can you just look up the 2009 AFL draft? I would love to know who was taken before dual Brownlow medalist, potential triple Brownlow medalist if you know he can overcome this hamstring thing quickly enough. But what club, what player did your club take before Nat Fife in 2009? I'd love to know. And I'd also love to know of the 19 players who uh, came before him in that draft, how many of them could Nat Fife identify by name? <laughs> uh, okay. okay. Is there a link um, podcast, Mike, that'll bring them all up? Because pick one was Dusty Martin. So that's okay. Yeah. You're happy you if you've that. taken Dusty at pink, pick one over Nat Fife. That's fine. Much of a muchness, really, as, as champions of the game go. So that's fine. But who's. Who's after that? We want to get from 2 to 19. This okay. is where it gets interesting. Okay, here's the link. I'm just okay. opening it now. All right. Right, here we go. 2009. Here we go. Oh, no, that's the trades. Retirements. Draft. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, Dustin Martin went number three. Number one was Tom Scully. Oh, that's right. Of course. And number two was Jack Trengrove. Both went to Melbourne. Yes, of course. Uh, Dustin Martin went to the Tigers. Okay, so you're happy with that. Big tick. Big tick to, to Richmond. Uh, is it a tick to Melbourne? They did pick a good player, a durable player. It's just he plays for another club now, another two clubs. He's not Nat Fife, Tom Scully, for what... He's a very, very good player, but he's 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 not a Nat Fife. So, no, it's not a tick. It's a cross. Number four was Anthony Morabito. Remember him? Barely. Uh, Do you know who so he played gonna, for? Fremantle. Yes. Uh, number five, Ben Cunnington, uh, North Melbourne. Number six, yep. Gary Rowan. Gary Rowan was a, a top 10 draft pick. I had no idea. Uh, obviously drafted by the Swans. Uh, West Coast took Brad Shepard. Number eight was John Butcher to Port Adelaide. I remember John Butcher, a bit of hype around him. Never didn't turn into anything. Uh, Port Adelaide also took... Shepard's had... been good at West Coast, though. Has he? You'd be happy with Shepard at pick nine. He's been all right, yeah. Okay, uh, so eight and nine went to Port Adelaide. That was John Butcher and Andrew Moore. I remember John Butcher having a good start, but I don't know whatever happened after that. Don't really know Andrew Moore. Uh, Essendon took Jake Melsham. Melbourne took Jordan Gisberts. <laughs> I don't really remember him. Uh, Carlton at number 12. Gisberts! <laughs> took Kane Lucas. Adelaide took Daniel Talia. Uh, number 14, okay. Lewis Jetta went to Sydney. Uh, the Bulldogs. Do you remember who you guys took at number 15? It's a South Australian. Give me a clue. He, uh, religious first name. Uh, Muhammad <laughs> Cordy. <laughs> Christian Howard. Oh, okay. Sure. Do you remember him? Yeah. But yeah, okay. Probably not better than that five though. 
I'm going to make a brave call. It's <laughs> ja- so probably not a better footballer than that five. Uh, Jasper McMillan Pittard uh, went to Port Adelaide. Jesus, Port Adelaide had like four picks, three picks in the top in the top twenty. Uh, Daniel Menzel went to Geelong. Luke Tap Luke Tap Scott went to Melbourne. Ben Griffiths went to Richmond, and then the one and only Nat Fife went to Free. That, I mean, apart from Dusty, Nat Fife was the absolute pick of that draft, wasn't he? Yeah, he really was. So that's a good recruit by Freo. Um, Christian Howard played how many games? He played 20 games, kicked three goals between 2011. Uh, he must have had a lot of injuries. He didn't play his first game until 2011. 2011 to 2014. Yeah, well, you know what? Here's the thing. He was... Uh, they were good games. Good 20. <laughs> three great goals. You could have had Nat Five. Good draft pick. If you had if you drafted Nat Five, do you reckon you would have won? You would have won more than one flag since two thousand and nine. I mean, you'd love to have a team that had Marcus Bontempelli and Nat Five in it, oh, wouldn't God. you? Mouth watering. <laughs> It'd be amazing. <laughs> Who did we pick? We didn't. Our first pick wasn't until num- our first pick was thirty two. So here we are. and we drafted Nicholas Winmar, and not uh, the young Nicholas Winmar. We drafted old Nicky Winmar. <laughs> we got him back. Ter- terrible decision in hindsight. <laughs> it was in his late forties. Um, okay, we've got another bit of mail here, Will, and this is from Matthew. He says, "Hey, Will and Charlie, incredible work over the last few weeks, keeping us all entertained with stories from Ben Cunnington, Nat Fife's buddy cop movies, to general banter, giving us a brief reprieve from the truly fucked nature of the AFL and the world as a whole this year." My reason for writing. Is you've both noticed? Have you both noticed the same peroxide blonde hair? Have you both noticed the blonde peroxide hair has left Fremantle and seems to have ended up at Collingwood with players like Jeremy Howe, Jack Chris, Jordan Degoe, John Noble, all turning blonde over self isolation. As a Freo fan, can't say I'm bothered with this horrific follicle based crime leaving our club. But two topics you might like to consider: what are the worst hairstyles in the AFL? Which coach would you want to see with the bottle blonde hair and why? Keep up the great work. Uh, firstly, I have noticed. I have noticed this bloody peroxide thing at Collingwood as I tweeted on the weekend. They've all got the sick boy look, which uh, sick boy slash Michael Stipe in the late 90s look, which is that kind of bottle blonde peroxide, but with the black roots growing through. Part of me feels like there must be some kind of dare going on because there's so many of them, you know, like uh, coming out of preseason, a bunch of players all have like moustaches and stuff like that. I'll figure that that's what's going on. There's some kind of like... I'd be interested to know if it's like a midfielder versus defenders kind of competition or there's some kind of thing going on. Uh, I ask a question, and maybe this is an mm. unfair question to ask, but in a time when your club is mired in the middle of a racial scandal with a former player accusing the club of racism, do you think dressing like a bunch of Hitler youth and dyeing your hair to look like them is the best look for the club at this time? I, uh, I, all right, if you had to pick a coach, hairstyle, worst hairstyle in the AFL, I mean, I don't know. What do you, is there a hairstyle that particularly bothers you? Well, Bevo's is the most identifiable hair to me. You know, cuts his own hair. He's yeah. got that sort of yeah. mullet still. And he's also, could you just imagine if Bevo rocks up to a press conference with like peroxide, peroxide. blonde mullet? No, Chris Fagan, if Chris Fagan got the sick boy look, I'd love it. I mean, It'd be great because you know that it was unintentional. You know that he probably was feeling a bit like, oh, God, I look so old. Look at all these young coaches all around the place, these reshores. And, oh, geez, maybe if I just put a little bit of just for men in my hair, I'll just look a bit younger. I'll feel a little bit less self-conscious. Oh, geez, I left it in too long. Ah, it's gone bright, bloody blonde. Oh, no. 
Oh, jeez, oh, no. <laughs> uh, Jimmy writes into us. G'day, Will and Charlie. Uh, what if there was an AFL-themed sequel? <laughs> this is why our podcast is the best AFL podcast going around because this is the kind of quality content we bring you. There was a there was someone online um, the other day who is listening to our other podcast, Tofop, and he messaged saying, I've just started watching AFL in America because you can watch it at the moment. <laughs> and is there a podcast where I can you know find out a little bit more about what goes on and some of the rules? And I messaged him so enthusiastically going, man, well, if you love Tofop, like Charlie and I actually do like an AFL podcast. And then I realized this would give you no information about the game. You would be more confused about what's going on after listening to this than before you listen to it. What if there was an AFL themed sequel to the 1997 film Face Off? I think this is incredibly dumb. Good luck. Okay. Uh, love With it. his cognitive and physical abilities rapidly fading... Brisbane's Chris Fagan, Dennis Pagan, is under immense pressure to recruit the Lions' next head coach. His solution? The Scott brothers, dual Brisbane premiership players who each went on to coach at senior level. The problem that Chris Fagan, Dennis Pagan, has is that he really wants Chris Scott as coach, but the only Scott brother available is Brad, who's proved to be no good at coaching. However, Chris Fagan, Dennis Pagan, has a plan. With no real job and a lot of free time on his hands, Brad is lured to visit Brisbane under the pretense of a pre-game jumper presentation. Deep in the bowels of the Gabba, Chris Fagan, Dennis Pagan, approaches Brad and pitches him his brilliant idea. Brisbane will hire Brad as the next coach of Brisbane, but for an off-the-books payment of $10 million, Brad must convince his twin brother, Chris, to undergo radical, illegal and non-AFL-sanctioned face transplant with each other, meaning Brisbane signed Brad, but they actually get Chris. With a secret gambling addiction and huge debts owed to ruthless AFL underworld figures, Brad is blinded by the money on offer, causing him to be completely oblivious to Chris Fagan, Dennis Pagan's entirely <laughs> unnecessary face-swapping surgical procedure between two identical twins. Will Brad come to his senses and scuttle this ridiculous plan, or will Brad's debts force him to try and enact Chris Fagan, Dennis Pagan's plan on, uns on his unsuspecting twin brother? Could Brad come clean to Chris and tell him of the plan, resulting in Chris going totally narc on Brisbane, Chris Fagan, Dennis Pagan, and the AFL? Or will the Scott brothers join forces and save the day through an incredibly clever game of cat and mouse, which I can't be bothered thinking about because this is all pretty silly by now? Uh, in your competent hands, maybe this could become a franchise juggernaut with sequel after sequel featuring different pairings of AFL identities right up until we shit the bag with the release of Face Off 27 Presents, Nat Fife and Daniel Caleb. Here's what I would say. Um, maybe this is your Jack Silvani, Matt Rowell situation. This is your Face Off. You get Silvani up to the Gold right. Coast and they say, look, we love Matt Rowell as a footballer, but we feel like, <laughs> look, we're gonna, we'll sign you to a minimum four-year contract. You've got a more face. you have to do the face-off with Matt Rowell. What was that bit? I said four-year contract, great buddy, but you have to do a face-off <laughs> with Matt Rowell. Again, you seem to be just saying something really quickly under your breath at the end. Is it, it feels like you're saying I have to do a face-off. All we're saying, Jack, is have you seen the movie Face-Off? <laughs> Last letter is from Ron. Uh, it's more fan fiction, not about Nat Fife and Ben Cunnington. It's a little story that he is called The Shinbone Redemption. Uh, he says, thanks for all the opportunity to submit a script for development. I think we could be onto a winner with The Shinbone Redemption. <clears throat> the movie opens 
with Wayne Carey being caught. I am loving these, by the way. <laughs> the more the merry. If this is all our podcast becomes, is just reading these scenarios and talking about them, I would be perfectly fine with this. I am so sad it took us so long to get to this today. Uh, the movie opens with Wayne Carey being caught committing adultery and sentenced to hard time in the Shinbona Penitentiary. Befriended by fellow inmate Dennis Pagan, Wayne slowly adjusts to life on the inside. He brings hope to all around him, even teaching prison guards Sav Rocker and Mick Martin to read. Finally tiring of Wayne's need to provide an uninsightful commentary at all times, the inmates force him to escape through a tunnel of shit that obviously comes out in Adelaide. The movie closes with Dennis receiving a postcard from Rundle Street Mall, leaving us to wonder about the true meaning of freedom. I hope you like it. Do you think it needs an R rating for gratuitous displays of Dennis Pagan and Mick Martin's faces? <laughs> Go Swans. I mean, I love it. It wouldn't be a poster of Rita Hayworth on the wall, would it? It'd be a poster of Wayne Shimmerbush. Shinbone legend Wayne Shimmerbush. Uh, Will, let's look ahead to the games that are coming up tonight and, uh, or uh, sorry, tomorrow or whenever you hear this. <clears throat> the games that are coming up this weekend is what I'm trying to say. I would like to think that in this, uh, it's uh, Crackers Keenan is the character who has been in for too oh. long. He's been institutionalized. Yeah, no, yeah, and then he fought. Yeah. Can't handle it on the outside. <laughs> yeah, Cracker's gain and he's got a little bird in his pocket, but he's also got a little vial of shinboner spirit. <laughs> he's smuggled in there and he's like, Wayne, I know you're struggling a little bit here, but don't worry, next time the guards are getting you down, you just open this, you <laughs> unscrew the top and you take a little whiff of the shinboner spirit. <laughs> okay. That's uh, an old bit. That we he's making he's making prison shinboner spirit in his toilet. <laughs> Shitboner spirit. Okay. Uh, the first game is Carlton taking on the Saints. Uh, Carlton, who seems to be the media darlings right now, taking on a rampant St Kilda, who uh, defeated the reigning premiers last week. Uh, it's 12th versus 7th. Carlton have only snuck across the line in their wins this year, but people are talking about them like they're excited. I haven't seen any Carlton this year. I'm a bit surprised having only looked at the results and not seeing them. Have you seen much of Carlton? Should should people be getting excited about the Blues this year? When you've barely just... They've, look, they've won two in a row and they've like lost their minds. They, like, they're going for three in a row this week. They'll, they'll have the rest of the season. They'll have a mad Monday on Monday if they win three in a row. <laughs> like, it is... Fev will bust out the, the strap-on dildo again, <laughs> join the boys for a mad Monday. The, the best on ground will also... They'll award him a Norm Smith. They are... Like they only won the last game because one of their players got their face in the way of the ball. It was about to go across the line. Like literally, <laughs> you're winning the game with a falcon. Um, I'm going to pick the Saints in this game. I think uh, I think the Saints are uh, uh, adjusting to this new plan real real well. Zach Jones might be out, which is a bit of a bummer, but uh, Saints for me will. Saints for me also, Charlie. Uh, Friday night, the Pies take on the Bombers. Uh, traditionally an Anzac Day clash. Obviously, that's been delayed. But uh, big game for the Bombers. The Bombers are now getting a reputation for th that was once occupied by Port Adelaide, which is being perpetually disappointing, right? They just have not got their shit together at any point in the last two years. Uh, it, they always feel like they have the potential and then they just aren't really doing anything with it. Like Collingwood... Backs are kind of against the wall and they, mm. they're probably going to be without steel side bottom. It looks like he's going to miss several weeks for breaking the COVID uh, conditions. Um, the other night, their backs weren't far enough against the wall. We picked it pre-game. Mm. And then during the game, they got far enough behind that they made that massive comeback because their backs were enough against the wall for them to play well. I say they go into this with their backs 
against the wall, this is a Collingwood win. See, this is interesting. I reckon if Essendon get off to a fast start, Collingwood will win because their backs will be immediately thrust against the wall. But I think Collingwood come into this game and they are favourites. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't think their backs are close enough to the wall, which means the Bombers should win this game. I'm going to pick the Bombers because I, I believe that Collingwood's backs are not close enough to the wall. And that's my... Lock of the week. Without the steel side bottom thing, I, th- I would have said that you're right. But I think steel side bottom has just... Puts their backs uh, close to the wall. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I guess also with all the off-field stuff that's happening as well, it's, it is sort of putting their backs against the wall because now like they're doing that internal review and Buckley's been you know, making some statements which seem to be contradicted by you know former players and stuff. So I don't know. Maybe you're right. I'm, I'm not doing a universe... This is a galaxy brain kind of thing where you've got to think about their backs against a wall in all departments. It's not just on the field. It's what Absolutely. the player... Ah, that's a good point. No, I'm not going to change it. I'm going to stick with my instincts. Bombers to win that for me. On Saturday, the Eagles, who have so checked out on this season, the Eagles who... They're not even, why are they even turning up? They should send in the cardboard people they're sticking behind the goals at games. They should be on the ground as opposed to the Eagles players. I mean, they have Tim Kelly, Nick Nats back, and they just don't give a shit. No motivation. I mean, Tim Kelly, I think they promised him as part of his new contract the first year off. Because <laughs> he's not they, getting a kick. He's not getting a kick. They're no good. I don't know what's going on with West Coast, but it does not seem like their heart is in it. Um, okay, they're taking on the Swans. It is. Oh, is this in W? Are they back in their hub in WA, or is this going to be in Queensland? Still, are they still oh, in Queensland? Knows. Who knows where it'll be? Metricon. They're at Metricon, so it's still in Queensland. So uh, Eagles to lose that because they just do not care. Swans to win this for me. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to say the Eagles probably win this because I don't think the Swans are that great. I think the Eagles. This is their one. They get back. Okay. Uh, then the Cats take on the Suns down at GMHBA Stadium. Exciting stuff, right? The Gary Ablett Jr. Cup. The Cats take on the Suns. I think Matt Rowell uh, versus Paddy Dangerfield. Mouthwatering. He took on Nat Fife and it, at the very least broke even for the time that Nat Fife was on the ground. Didn't mind fucking taking it up to him. Now he gets to take on Patrick Dangerfield and Joel Selwood. Exciting stuff. Could he win the Brownlow, Will? Yes. Yes, he could. And I hope he does. And the last, the first, last, first, the most recent... Uh, first season player to win the Brown there was Brad Hardy, of course, a fellow blood nut. And I think that is a good sign that it might be Matt Rowell's year. But he's going to, I mean, he's going to, it'll be, this is exciting. This is how good this kid is. That what It's been four games. And I think the thing that I'm most excited about this weekend is seeing him go up against Dangerfield and Selwood. He could potentially win the Brownlow and the Norm Smith in the same year, the way Gold Coast are going. If they go all the way to the grand final, he's going to be best on ground in the grand final. He could win a Brownlow and Norm Smith in his first year. And and be inducted into the AFL Hall of Fame. <laughs> Why not? Let's just... <laughs> all bets are off. The Bulldogs take on the mighty Shinboners uh, at Marvel Stadium on Saturday night. Uh, Shinboners looking to bounce back from their disappointing loss to Hawthorne. And the, the Kangaroos were looking so good in that first like two weeks and uh, seemed to have just like forgotten how to play. Bulldogs look like they've got their mojo back. Um, you know, bashing up the the Swans was fun. Bashing up the, the GWS the week before was fun. I think you should bash up North again. You really need Josh Bruce to fucking lift now that Aaron Norton's out, right? Like, he has been very yeah, disappointing Nor- for you guys. Norton out for six weeks is not good for us, clearly. He's an absolute gun. And Lockie Hunter's not back for another week. And Dunkley was already out. But it gives Shaki a chance. And yes, it gives... A chance, you know, for, I mean, look, we, I guess 
we recruited a, a key forward and a key back, and the, they're the two positions that Norton plays. So I guess we've at least got the cattle there to potentially cover him while he is away. Uh, the Lions take on Port Adelaide in the game of the round. Brisbane are flying under the radar a bit this this year, aren't they? They're just chalking up the wins, doing it really well. Charlie Cameron, I mean, we haven't talked about his mark. Off three steps, just sits on someone's head. I mean, Adelaide awesome. Adelaide so have good. so much to kind of like just 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 to rub salt in the wounds and like looking around and seeing all these ex players just because Charlie Cameron was the first guy to jump ship. That was before the kind of uh, collective minds thing, and he's just an absolute superstar now. Can do it all. May win the Coleman this year, Charlie Cameron. Uh, and we should actually mention that Jeremy Howe, of course, the other oh, high-leaping yeah. player in the competition, uh, you know, did his knee absolutely tragically. So again, backs against the wall for Collingwood. I'm that. Yeah. I'm definitely. That's. I'm. I'm retrospectively locking that of my week. Definitely Collingwood and definitely Brisbane. I'm a fucking idiot. You're right. I should have locked Collingwood in, but I will not change my lock. Will once the lock is locked, it's locked, <laughs> as they say. Uh, Port Adelaide versus Brisbane. Uh, who wins that game? Um, geez, it's a, it's going to be a cracker. It's at the Gabba, but there's no crowd, so home. Uh, and yeah. and Port Adelaide have loved the, the Port Adelaide have loved the Queensland hub, haven't they? They've thrived. West Coast. Charlie Dixon. Charlie Dixon wants to live in isolation. Yeah. He's never been a better footballer. He's never been happier in his life. I mean, he looks like a dude who lives in isolation. He looks like the kind of guy who they bust into his fucking cabin in the woods, and there's like a manifesto. There's just like shells filled with his handwritten manifesto. Um, Port Adelaide are having a kind of year where Charlie Dixon's actually good. It's amazing. Okay, Sunday, uh, the Crows take on the Dockers, 18th versus 17th. This is at Metricon as well. I think the Dockers win. Um, I think the Dockers without win. Without Nat Five? It's it, I I don't know. <laughs> is the answer? <laughs> I honestly don't know. At least like Longmuir or Nicks, one of them will get their first win as a coach, and I think that's probably the only result that any of us can hope for out of this game. I'm picking, uh, I'm picking the Dockers uh, with Michael Walters and some other players. I imagine uh, the Demons take on the Tigers at the MCG. Melbourne, who are just having a shit year, just can't get it together. Can't, apart from Christian Petrarca, that's a highlight. Christian Petrarch is playing all right, but Viney's having an average year. The midfields look, they just look slow. That Where is that team from two years ago? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that was the aberration. I think it's looking more and more like that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the Tigers, who've been touched up a couple of weeks in a row, they the way the game was reported was like St. Kilda Bloom off the park, but I watched the replay. It was fairly even for about two and a half, three quarters, and then the Saints had just enough leg speed to get it over them in the last. I reckon the Tigers will bounce back. They'll have a point to prove. They're a good team. They just didn't get their they just didn't get their their handball pressure game going last week. I think Melbourne is a I Melbourne's agree. a perfect Melbourne's a perfect tune up team as well, I reckon. Yeah, I was gonna say it feels like to me that it's a bad week for Melbourne to get the Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the Giants take on the the Hawks. Who will Clark O be shit canning this week after this game? Man, that's a that, this is a interesting game. Like it's hard to pick a winner here. Like they, I, I think they're both potentially very good teams, but you, they're just not quite very good consistently. So you just don't know from week to week what you're going to get with these teams at the moment. I'm going to say Giants. I'm going to say the Giants are, are going to win. Me too. I picked the Giants. Taking on his old team. Um, uh, taking on uh, John O'Patton, who's now plays for the Hawks. Uh, they'll have a point to prove uh, Toby Green to get suspended for two weeks for, for some nefarious act. 
Um, all right, that's the show this week. We went long. We went an hour 20, uh, and most of it was talking about Jack Silvani. And- I know, and I've got another podcast to record in one minute from now, so if we <laughs> okay. could really wrap this up, that'd be good. <laughs> well, that's a good reason for me to say, play on, not 15. Ball. We are two guys, one car. 